I use the word kerygma, anyone know what kerygma is? If I say the word gospel, do we know what the gospels are? Cool. There's four of them. If I say the word Paschal Mysteries, do we know what the Paschal Mysteries encompass? So first we're going to look at what the kerygma is, and then we'll get into today's gospel and the radical statement that St. Peter makes. So the kerygma is a Greek word that basically just says, here's the basic teaching of what who God is and who we are and what the world is. Kerygma. Kerygma starts off, we all have original, <laughs> that's chapter 3, what do we originally have? We originally have original innocence, right? Every child born is originally innocent. Humanity had original innocence in the first two chapters of Genesis. And so humanity was walking in paradise with God himself. Which is our heart's deepest desire. Is to be in complete embrace of love, joy, and peace. That in this broken world we can experience. But it's difficult to live in. And so we have original innocence where God creates us and we're just with Him and with one another. Step one, we're created. Step two, humanity's captured. The fall happens. Chapter three happens. We walk away from God. God says, don't do this. We're like, we're going to do that. Which is really weird that, interesting, that Jesus dies on a cross in obedience to the Father's will. It's obedience to the Father. That harmony, that peace, that love. So anyway, so we walk away from that. And that's where the broken world that we know and love and live in exists. We live in that broken world. We experience that broken world in us and out there. That's what went wrong. We walked away from God's plan. But God right away says, I'm, I'm going to do a rescue mission. I love creation so much. I love humanity so much. I'm going to send them prophets. I'm going to get a nation to call my own to show the world that I'm still with them. That I'm still walking with And then through the prophets, we have the rescue mission's name, Jesus. And way before this passes, Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the city of David, the next Davidic king coming to rule. So we're created, we're captured, this rescue mission happens. God becomes flesh. Jesus shows us what it is to be human. The word 
gospel, we, we, we've lost this sense in our world. The word gospel is the most, one of the most problematic words that you could have used in the old, olden days, ancient days. The word gospel means simply good news. And what would happen is that when a territory got conquered, or when that territory conquered another, prelates would go out and say, hey, by the way, you're conquered. Good news, you're conquered. Your taxes are going to this emperor now. Okay. Or people would go around saying, hey, we just conquered. This is the good news. We just conquered people. And now they're part of us. And so the very word gospel, and the fact that we have four of them, is very insulting to world power. That we're always trying to grasp at, and it gets through our hands. And so the gospel comes, Jesus is good news, man becomes, word becomes flesh. The start, the start of his rescue mission. Imagine a world that had no idea who Jesus was. Imagine a world where power, pleasure, wealth, health, whatever the culture thing is doing, reigns supreme. I don't know if it's that hard to imagine. And with all of those voices and that cacophony coming at the disciples, Peter's able to say this line. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's why Jesus says, you don't know that because you're human. You don't know that because of flesh and blood. You know that because God has revealed it to you. Because in that cacophony, you can't hear anything. It's so noisy. It's so distracting. And Jesus fulfills in, in his life, he fulfills all of Scripture. But in particular, one rabbi was able to count Jesus fulfills 492 Old Testament prophecies, starting with his birth. To fulfill eight of them is mathematically, astronomically, small percentage of even being able, remote possibility. And yet Jesus fulfills all of them. And so he has this great statement Peter does today. Jesus sees into him, sees that faith, recognizes that the Father placed it there and says, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. I'm going to build my church on you. On that faith, on that hope in me, in your love for me. So we're created, created, captured, rescued. Redeemed. Because God, from the beginning, always wanted paradise for humanity. 
has never not wanted paradise. So he wants us to be with him in eternal life, where death will be no more, sin will be no more, and joy and complete bliss. So the rescue mission, the redeemed, Jesus conquers sin and death on the cross. The evening of his death, the evening before his death, he looks as human as you could possibly look. He's beat down. He's in the pits of literally hell. His friends have betrayed him. He's being beaten. He's being scourged. He does the stations of the cross. More brutal than how we piously ended. Do it. And then, when he's looking like that, Satan says, This is my time. And Jesus, like a Venus flytrap, looks weak and innocent, and all of a sudden has death, has sin on his very person. Because that's what sin does to us. It destroys us. It kills us. So Jesus, the Son of God, who Peter calls out today, takes that on, brings it to the cross, dies. And that's not the end of the story. After that, the resurrection. After that, the ascension. After that, Pentecost. After that, the church. After that, you and I, today, knowing who Jesus is, the Son of the living God. 2,000 years ago, that happened. And yet, you and I are still around today knowing that that happened. So the gospel message, the word gospel, the good news, that's the good news, right? Creation, Kerygma, we're redeemed, we're saved, awesome. Paschal mysteries, every time we use it, this is what we refer to every time we celebrate Mass. All of these mysteries take place with encompassing the Mass. Jesus' death, passion, death, resurrection, ascension, descent of the Holy Spirit. Five. I always got it wrong in seminary. I was like, wait, where does it end? It ends with Pentecost, not with the ascension? Okay. But Jesus takes, after the resurrection, takes humanity to the right hand of the Father, where He intercedes for us, which is probably the most powerful intercession, the Son of God interceding for us. Great. Wow. But not only that, then, through the Father, into, from the Father, through the Son, sends us the Holy Spirit at Pentecost gives us the sacraments. Gives us the sacrament. Baptism, being able to be called part of this mystical body of Christ. Confirmation, being confirmed in that faith and sharing that faith. Life decisions. Life vocations. Marriage, priesthood, religious life. To build up that mystical body of Christ. 
And of course, we're weak, we're frail, we're human, we're going to die. Anointing of the sick. How comforting is it to know that God wants to be with us in our weakness, in our frailty, in our suffering. He wants to give us grace. wants to walk with us. wants to share in the privileged suffering that His Son suffered for us. And the Eucharist. The Eucharist today. Receiving the only Son of God. Himself. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. As food for the journey. Last but not least, confession. Having my sins obliterated by the words of absolution of a priest. Where I can once again walk in paradise with God. As if my sin never happened. That's the freedom that Jesus won for us. I can be his beloved daughter. I can be his beloved son again. Even though we most times don't feel like we deserve it. That's what mercy is. It's love when you don't deserve it. And that's God's call for all of us to receive and then to show the world. You guys remember Emperor, Emperor Napoleon? Napoleon tried to take over the world. Napoleon conquered Rome, was in the midst of it, had a meeting with the, occasionally captured the Pope. Had a meeting with the Pope, and Napoleon told the Pope, I'm going to destroy your church. I'm going to destroy your church, Pope. Your Roman Empire, it's over. This was the Pope's response. If my priests and bishops haven't, good luck. If my priests and bishops haven't, best of luck to you. That's the crazy part about the church. It's it's been two thousand years. How many governments, how many kingdoms, how many regimes has it lasted? How many people have died giving witness to Christ and His church? That's not the best plan of staying around on a human level. Yet the blood of the martyrs are the seedbed of the church. Something the world can't and won't understand. That's not to negate the humanity, obviously. Right now for the world to see, we see the brokenness of the bride of Christ. In the priesthood. In the hierarchy. 
we look into ourselves, and that's a train wreck, that's a scandal for scandals. Because what the church proposes it to be, and who the Christ sent it out to be, are humanities in the way. But if we focus on our own holiness, if we focus on our own soul, we realize that that dynamic is in us. I do acts of faith, of hope, of love, of kindness, of gentleness, of being patient. But there's still this side of me that's broken, that still needs God. So it's to give that to God, and that's what Jesus came to save us from. Is that broken side to give us more grace on this side and take our brokenness and give us more grace, give us more life. Would you bind on loose, loose on earth, loose in heaven? Forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus says something super bizarre. Don't tell anyone that I'm the Christ. That was an old world that didn't know Jesus. Today, it's obviously to tell everyone about who Christ is and who His church is, who the bride is, what the sacraments are, who God is, who I am. To boast in Jesus. To save To save us. Today we come, yet again, to receive food for the journey. Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. Let us say with Peter, you are the son of the living God.